Over this Christmas season, we've been looking at the reality that Jesus is God with us. And we've seen the truth that God is with us in the valley. Often we enjoy God on the mountaintop, but it's in the valley when we get to know him better. We get to know him more intimately. We've looked at the reality of God with us in the wilderness. And often that wilderness experience follows a mountaintop experience. We saw that in the experience of Elijah. When we're there, God knows just what we need and he'll bring us into a personal encounter with him. But he'll come to us and speak to us often not through the rock-breaking wind, not the ground-shaking earthquake, not the fire that burns and ravishes as it goes along, but it's most often in the gentle whisper that God will bring us into a personal encounter with himself. And friends, keep this in mind. Satan will shout his lies, but God will whisper his truth. By the way, why does God whisper? Because he's close. Because he's near. Think about that. I don't whisper to you if I'm far away. I whisper when I'm close. God whispers his truth because he is near. He is with you when you're in the wilderness. As we continue looking at these truths of God with us, we'll consider tonight the truth that God is with us in the storm. We'll look at Acts 27 in just a few moments to see this truth. Have you ever paid attention to how they name big storms? How do meteorologists come up with the names of these big storms? How many of you have ever experienced a big storm that had a name? Yeah, many of us have. In fact, it's something you don't really care to think about anymore, is it? It's very interesting. Some of you who are older may remember a little better than I about how there have been different time periods where they've named these big storms different ways. In fact, it was back in 1953. The meteorologists got together and they decided that they were going to choose from a specific grouping, if you will, to give names to storms. They decided they were going to start naming big storms after people. But not any and all people. Back in 1953, these meteorologists got together and decided they were going to name these big storms after their wives and girlfriends. Only female names. How many of you remember this? For 25 years, big storms were only given the names of females. I'm not sure what that says about their wives and girlfriends, But that's what they decided. It wasn't until 1978, 25 years later, that storms finally won their equal rights. And they decided, alternatingly, they were going to name these big storms after male and female. 
And if that weren't enough, think about this. If a storm is big enough and bad enough, then they retire that name. Now, I like sports, so I think of this in athletic terms. Because in sports, they will retire the jersey numbers of great players, of great athletes. And they don't do it based on how bad they are. They do it based on how good they are. You score enough. You have enough assists. You have enough touchdowns. You have enough interceptions or sacks. Or you take any sport. Home runs. Runs batted in. ERA low enough. You may get voted into the Hall of Fame. And your team may retire your jersey number so that no other athlete on that team in the future can use that jersey number. And if you're exceptionally good, they may retire your number from the entire league, the entire sport. With storms, it's if it's big enough and bad enough. What's big enough and bad enough? The amount of damage done and the number of lives lost. So I want you to picture the conference meeting with me. The meteorologists are sitting around talking about the storms that have transpired, deciding if they're going to retire a storm. And one meteorologist says, well, I think we need to retire Storm Bertha. Storm Bertha caused $3 trillion in damages. And one of the other meteorologists speaks up and says, no, I don't think we can retire Storm Bertha. Only three lives were lost. I mean, what? Really? That's how you decide? But that's what they do. Perhaps not so funny is the reality of storms in life that we give names to. It may be a year. It may be an event. It may be a disease. It may be a title. It may be a loss that you experience in your life and you give it a name. Someone mentions the name of a year. And every time that year is mentioned, it brings bad memories for you. Because it was a storm of a year. It might be that word, cancer. Alzheimer's, dementia, or some other disease that brings with it drastic consequences. And someone mentions the name of that disease and it triggers memories for you that are painful because that's the name of your storm. Acts 27 encourages us with the truth that God is with us in the storm. It opens with an accounting of Paul's continued journey to Rome as a prisoner. And on the screen, I've got a map of this journey beginning there in Palestine and continuing on to Rome. But this particular passage takes place, I know it's hard for you to see, but right in the center of the map is the island of Crete. When they arrived at Crete, they arrived on the southern part of the island in a place called the Fair Havens. There, the captain of the ship, the centurion who was over the prisoners, and the owner of the ship were discussing moving 40 miles further west 
to Phineas where it was a more suitable place to stay for the winter. It was just a 40-mile trip. It shouldn't take that long to sail there. And so they were talking about this, and Paul spoke up. He said, guys, not a good idea. This is a bad time of the year to be traveling on the ocean, on the sea. Let's just stay put right here. Well, the centurion, the captain of the ship, and the owner agreed, no, it's, a, it's fine. We can make this 40-mile trip. It's a better place to anchor for the winter, a better harbor there. It's more in coverage from any storms that might blow up, so we're going to take this trip. And so they decided they're going to sail just 40 miles further west on the same island of Crete. But you see the red line there, how they kind of end up out in the sea? That was as they were making this 40-mile trek. Why did that happen? Because a storm came. Look at Acts 27, verse number 14. But not long after there rose against it the ship, a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. It wasn't just any storm. It was a storm that had a name. And by the way, this is, this is a storm that often happens in that region, in that part of the Mediterranean. In fact, today, the modern title for this storm called Eurachlodon here is called Levanter. And this storm, Levanter, is a regular occurrence, especially during the fall or winter time of the year. It affects primarily the southern coasts of France and Spain. It's described as a mild, damp, rainy, and it, it reaches its maximum intensities in the Strait of Gibraltar. In fact, uh, people tell us, scholars tell us, that if there is a plane... An airplane flying eastward during one of these storms, that plane will be brought almost to a standstill because of how strong those winds and how intense the storm is. And that is what this ship got caught up in. This storm, Euclidon, continue reading verse 15. The Bible says, And when the ship was caught... And could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. They just let the wind drive the ship wherever it would. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. That is, typically they would have like a lifeboat dragging behind the ship. But during storms, they would bring it in and secure it to the main ship. And so they had to work really hard to get that lifeboat in and secure it to the main ship. Verse 17, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strike sail, and so were driven. So they used rope essentially, threw it around the whole of the ship and tied it together to try to help hold the wood of the ship together. They let the sails up so that the wind could just drive them so that the rudder and the ship would not be destroyed. Verse 18. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. They started throwing everything overboard. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. Verse 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared... And no small tempest lay on us. What's that next phrase say? All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. 
Now, the Bible doesn't tell us here that, that Paul is included in that. But the penman of the book of Acts is Luke, the same penman who wrote the gospel according to Luke, the physician who often journeyed with Paul. He was with Paul on this trip, this voyage, and he includes himself in it. He says, all of us, the centurion, the soldiers, the the ship's captain, the, the other crew members, the other passengers, myself included, we lost all hope that we were going to survive this storm. It's a hopeless situation. They were blown off course. The workload of the crew and the passengers was increased and made more difficult, and all hope was lost. But in the middle of the storm, when they hadn't seen the sun or stars for many days, when they've thrown everything overboard, when they think the ship is going to be torn apart, when they've lost all hope right in the middle of the storm, God encourages Paul. Look at his testimony in verses 21 through 25. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. For I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Do you know what happened in the middle of the storm? Paul was reminded that God was with him. And friends, tonight, just as he was with Paul, God is with you when you go through the storm. The Christmas truth of Matthew 23 speaks to us even about the storms of life when it declares, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, say it with me, God with us. Now that truth does not mean that you won't endure storms. God does not tell us, hey, I will be with you so you won't have any storms. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But what it does mean is this. When you go through a storm, and friend, you will go through storms. You're going to go through storms that have names. It might be that year. It might be that disease. It might be that event. It might be that title. Job loss. Bankrupt. It it might be that loss that you experience. You will go through storms. But the truth is this. Though you go through storms, God is with you. So here is what I want to encourage you with from Acts 27 tonight. What should I do when I am in the storm? Number one is this. When you're in the storm, be attentive to sources of encouragement. 
Do you know what often happens? When you go through the storm, there's plenty to discourage you. The storm itself, whatever it is, that disease, that event, that loss, that itself discourages you, doesn't it? When you lose that loved one, when you lose the job, when you yourself or someone close to you is diagnosed with that disease, that in and of itself discourages you. But there are other things that discourage you too. Sometimes people, even well-intentioned people, can be discouraging. The enemy, oh, he's going to shout his lies when you're in the midst of a storm. The enemy will do his best to discourage, depress, defeat you, to cause you to despair, to take away any last bit of hope you have. The enemy will do that. But do you know what's often true, though? The storm itself, other people, and the enemy discourage you. Do you, know, do you know what's often true? You yourself will discourage you. When you're in the middle of the storm, all those other things will but your own natural, deceptive, godless thoughts will discourage you. I've shared with you over the past year some of the storms that I've faced. And that I've, as I've faced them, I've seen a gap between what I saw and how I counseled others enduring suffering and what I saw myself as I experienced suffering. And it was easy to get, it's easy to give people the truth, but a little harder to apply it when it's you yourself that are going through the storm. Recently, I began reading a book entitled Suffering by pastor and author Paul David Tripp. And Paul David Tripp himself wrote this book after experiencing suffering through severe kidney failure that led to irreparable kidney damage. And he deals with it on a daily basis. And he wrote these words that I find easy to identify with. Listen to what he said. He said, independence is a delusion that is quickly exposed by suffering. I found what I was going through to be not only discouraging in many ways, but also deeply humbling. My weakness enabled me to see and admit to things that I had never faced in myself before. My sickness redefined who I thought I was and what I thought of my walk with God. Let me explain. During these months, I was confronted with the reality that much of what I thought was faith in Christ was actually confidence in my physical condition and pride in my ability to produce. I, I have always had lots of energy and was quite physically fit for my age. I never remember being very tired, never required much sleep, and was always able to be productive I used to proudly say that sleep was a necessary interruption to an otherwise productive day. Suffering has the power to expose what you have been trusting all along. If you lose hope when your physical body fails, maybe your hope wasn't really in your Savior after all. It was humbling to confess that what I thought was faith was actually self-reliance. You know, that is often true when we endure suffering. It is us ourselves that add to our discouragement. Suffering and storms have a way of doing that. 
They produce discouragement in many ways, but that's why this point is so important. When you're going through the storm, there is going to be much to discourage you. And so when you're in the storm, you need to be attentive to the sources of encouragement that God sends your way. Look at how this comes out next. This is a situation, remember, where all the voyagers had lost hope. And then Paul speaks to them in verse 21. And he begins by saying, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, not loose from Crete. This is Paul's I told you so moment. You ever been there? You saw someone do something, say something, get involved in something that you had warned them about, and you say, I, I told you you shouldn't have done that. And you have that moment. This is Paul. They had loosed. He said, don't do it. They did it anyway. And Paul says, guys, I told you so. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he encourages them. And what we see here is two forms of encouragement. Number one, encouragement may take the form of correction. And that's what he does in verse 21. I told you so. And understand this. There are going to be times when you face storms, and it may be a self-inflicted storm. It may be something that because of something you said or something you did, you brought on yourself. Can I tell you that when that happens and someone brings correction, that is actually a form of encouragement. You're being helped. You're being strengthened. And that's a good thing. And so sometimes encouragement will be a form of correction, but it will always bring comfort. There are storms that you and I go through in life that aren't self-inflicted. They're just part of life. They're natural circumstances and events of life that we all face. When you are there, you need comfort. And how does Paul do that? In verses 22 and 25, he repeats the same phrase, be of good cheer. It literally means to cheer up, to be cheerful. It denotes the idea of inspiring with confidence to give hope and courage. And so what the Bible is telling us is this. In saying this phrase, Paul was inspiring the others to confidence. He was giving them courage. He was giving them hope. And that is what you need when you're in the middle of the storm. You need to be attentive to the sources of encouragement. What are those? It's those who inspire confidence. It's those who give you courage it's those who inspire you to hope when you're in the storm you despair you lose hope there will be those that god sends who will come along who will give you hope who will inspire courage and those are the sources that you need to be attentive to be willing to allow others to be used of god to encourage you listen be attentive, take in, and think about what others share with you when you're going through the storm. And remember, too, that God wants you to do the same for others. God will use what you learn in the storm to prepare you to help others in their storms. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, that the God of all comforts comforts us that we might be able to comfort others who are in any affliction. And so be attentive to sources of encouragement. Number two, remember that you belong to God. What happens here? In verse number 23, Paul says, For there stood by me this night the angel of God. 
Here's what Paul goes on to share with us. He shows how the presence of God in the storm is true and how God cares for his possessions through the storm. When he said, there stood by me this night an angel of God. Can I remind you that the Bible tells us that the angels of God are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the children of God? I can't, I can't say with certainty when, where, or how, but I can say with certainty that myself and you throughout your life have been in the presence of angels multiple times. You've not seen them. You've not been aware of them, but they've been there. Why? They've been sent by God to minister to you and for you. And often that happens in the midst of trials. I believe there are angels in this room right now. Their spiritual battle taking place right now as the word of God is preached, as the word of God is heard. There are angels here right now ministering to us and for us. But not only that, if you're a child of God, the spirit of God lives within you. No matter where you are, what you're going through, God is with you. Never allow the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Because he's always with you. Paul said of God, whose I am. He was saying this, I belong to God. Let me ask you something tonight. How do you think God cares for what is his? You know, sometimes I look at my possessions and I, I can identify times in my life that I've not taken real good care of what's mine. I look at my children sometimes, things that we have given them. These are now your possessions, and they've not taken great care of their possessions at times. But do you think that's God? Do you think that God ignores, neglects, forgets, doesn't care to take care of what, of, what is his? Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Then what did he say? Are ye not much better than they? Hey friends, if God cares so well for the birds that are his, how much better do you think he will care for his children when they are so much better than the birds? If God says, hey, I'm going to care for the birds, they are mine. But guess what? You're mine, and you're much better than they are. How much more do you think God's going to care for you? He loves his birds, but friends, he loves you a lot more. You belong to God. If God cares so well for what is his then be encouraged when you're in the middle of the storm. He is with you. The presence of a storm does not mean that God is absent. He is still there. He cares for you. You belong to him. And then number three, I love this. When you're in the storm, what do you do? Well, you, you, you need to remember that you belong to God. Be attentive to the sources of encouragement, but then number three is this. Believe to see when you cannot see to believe. Believe to see 
when you not, cannot see to believe. I want you to say this with me. Repeat it after me tonight. Ready? My faith is not in what I see. My faith is in what God says. Is that true for you tonight? Good, Caroline, I'm glad. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? What did Paul and Luke and the other passengers on that ship see? Or maybe I should ask it this way, what did they not see? They looked up in the sky and they didn't see the sun, the moon, the stars. Why? Because the storm was so great. It was so thick. It was so intense. They looked all around, and what they saw with the eyes of flesh told them one thing. We're dead. All hope that we'll be saved is gone. We can't even plot where we are on a map right now. We've done everything we can to secure and save this ship. But the storm is so intense, we're going to go down. This is going to cost the life of every person on this ship. That's what their eyes of flesh told them. But after Paul heard a word from God, what did Paul tell them? No one's going to be lost. Everyone's going to survive. Paul would tell them, hey, the purpose is of God. The protection is of God. The promise is of God. Not one person is going to be lost. What was Paul saying? I'm not going to believe what I can see. I'm going to believe what God says. Didn't he say that? Look back at verse number 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. Why? For I believe God. Friends, when you go into this week and the storm begins to rage, remember this. My faith is not in what I see. My faith is in what God says. Think about that storm. You look around with your eyes of flesh and all you see is the storm. Nothing has changed yet. The wind is blowing. The waves are, are raging. The ship is about to blow apart. That storm, the one with the name Eurachlodon, is still raging. But Paul was at peace. Why? Because peace is not found in the absence of a storm. Peace is found in the presence of Jesus. And he believed that. You may be right in the middle of a storm that has a name. It's that year. It's that disease. It's that event. It's that title. It's that loss. And you're right in the middle of the storm right now. You're looking around with your eyes. And it is difficult to see God. It's difficult to see what he is doing. It's difficult to believe in God while you're in the middle of that storm. But that is not when it's time to give up. Rather than believing what you can see... Seeing what, believing that way, believe to see when you cannot see to believe. Psalm 27, 13 and 14, David said it this way. I had fainted unless I had believed 
to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. My faith is not in what I see. My faith is in what God says. And so when you look and you cannot see to believe, because you're in the middle of the storm, believe to see. God is good. God is with you in the middle of the storm. You belong to him. Peace is not found in the absence of a storm. Peace is found in the presence of Jesus. And if he is with you in the storm, you can still be at peace, though the storm is raging. And so, friend, whether you are facing today the valley, the wilderness, or a storm, even one that has a name because it's so big and it's so bad. God is with you. He's with you. And if he's with you, you can be at peace even as the storm is raging. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? We're not going to have any music. Just for a few moments, I'd like to ask you to reflect on how God may have spoken to your heart. Maybe over the course of this year, 2022, that's the year for you that's been a storm. And it may be because of a disease for you or a loved one. It may be for a loss of a loved one. Someone very close to you. It may be some event that has happened or is happening right now in your life. If you're there, God is with you. You're not going to find peace just because the storm is absent. Don't doubt the presence of God because of the presence of a storm. He is with you. And that peace is found not in the absence of the storm, but in the presence of Jesus, Don't put your faith in what you see. Rather, put your faith in what God says. And what he says to you tonight is this. I am with you. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Be still and know that I am God. If tonight you've been discouraged, despairing because of the storm, can I ask you, just right now to call out to God. Ask Him to encourage you. Ask Him to help you to see, to believe the goodness of God, the presence of God in the middle of your storm, to be at peace while the storm is raging. He'll hear. He'll respond as you cry out.